So when we talk about professional liability, what we are talking about is um, that the, the auditor owes a duty of care to the client and uh, that is the entity and its shareholders. Now what do we mean by that? What it means is that if the entity that is management or the shareholders of the company rely on the auditor's report and they make any decision and later on it backfires, the auditor will be liable to that. But the other thing also is that the auditor may also be liable to third parties who rely upon the audit reports of the, of the auditor. So if a third party relies on the audit reports of that auditor, then in some case, that uh, uh, the auditor may also be liable to that third party. But that thing depends on something that we'll be looking at. That is, there has to be what we call a duty of care due to proximity or due to legal neighbor. And we will discuss that in a moment. So let me give an illustration in relation to what we are talking about. So for instance, you are the auditor and you audited the financial statement of Premium Hub Group Limited and after the auditing you issued uh, an unqualified audit report, an unmodified audit report and so I relied on the that audit report and I invested or bought some shares in the business. Now, at the end of the day, when after buying the shares, the business was declared bankrupt and so the business has to be liquidated. The question we ask is, can I take you to court? And even if I take you to court, will you incur any liability? That is what we mean by the professional liability in this case, right? The, the duty of care that we are talking about here. But there are conditions that must be satisfied. One, as I mentioned earlier, there has to be a duty of care, which is because of proximity or legal neighbors. So if before I invested in Premium Hub Group Limited, and I came to you and asked you, ah, did you or are you still sure about the financial statement that you audited and that uh, the financial statement represents a true and fair nature uh, of the state of the firm and that your audit report is okay? Are you still sure about that? So I came to you and I spoke with you and I talked to you like that and you said, yes, your audit statement or your audit report is what you think of the company and that is how it is. If I now go and invest in the company and it backfires, when I take you to court, you are liable to pay everything to me. But if I don't come to ask you, it means there is nothing like proximity, there is nothing like duty of care. Duty, no duty of care exists among us. I didn't ask you anything, I just took the statement and I made the investment. Then, there is not a duty of care. So, you will not be liable for my investment decisions, or yes, for my investment decision. Aside duty of care being exist, we have to prove that that duty of care has been breached by the non-negligence uh, non or the negligence of the uh, auditor. So if we have that relationship, that like how the auditors and the shareholders have, that relationship is already between them, then the auditor it, that relationship, that duty of care of my investment have been breached as a result of the negligence of the auditor, then we can prove that. The second thing is that the third party has relied on the auditor's work. So first, there is proximity or the duty of care exists. 
then the duty of care has been breached. But I, I made the decision because I relied on your work and therefore financial loss has been suffered. So I lost my investment. Then the third one, the loss suffered was caused by the third party's reliance on the auditor's negligent report. Now, so to discuss these things well in nature and to look at when we can say the auditor is liable to third parties and when the auditor must pay for these things, we have to look at two cases, okay? So we're going to discuss two cases which are what will help us to determine the liability of the auditor. These two cases are what we call the Capero case and then the DT, the AGT case. Now, so let's go through these two cases. The Capero case first. The key case is the Capero case industrial case or industries case. In 1987, Capero Industries PLC brought an action against two of the directors of Fidelity PLC and their auditors, Touch Rose. During 1984, Capero invested, invested, in, invested in and eventually acquired control of Fidelity PLC. They alleged that the financial statement they had relied upon overstated the profits. The case went to the House of Laws where it was decided that the proximity did not, it was decided that proximity did not exist. So the House of Law stated that an essential element of proximity is that the defendant knew that his statement would be communicated to the plaintiff either as an individual or a member of an identifiable class, specifically in connection with a particular transaction or transactions of a particular kind, and that the plaintiff would be very careful to rely on it for the purpose of deciding whether or not to enter upon that transaction. The claim by Capero Industries was rejected. So what is happening here is that there is a company called Capero Industries and they went to buy the shares and they gained control of another company called Fidelity PLC. Now three years after they bought the company, they brought a case against the a lawsuit against the directors of the Fidelity company and then the auditors, that is Thosh Rose. And so it was ruled that, and because the reason why they have brother case is that they realized that the profit they relied on has been overstated. So they brought the brother case and the House of Law decided that proximity has not existed. You just look at the financial statement or look at the audited report and you made your decision to go and gain control of the business. I don't owe you. There is no proximity between us. You didn't come to ask me, uh, the auditor, about anything. So the case was rejected totally in that order. So that is what the Capero case is about. That before there has to be any liability by the auditor, there has to be an existence of proximity. So you must come. You must have obtained my knowledge or I must have known that you are going to use that statement. But you are not a shareholder, so I don't owe duty to you. So if you rely on my report and made an investment and it backfired, quote unquote, then I'm not liable for it. That is what a Capero case is about. Now let's go to the next one called the ADT case of 1996. ADT acquired control of Britannia Securities Group, which was audited by Bender Hamlin. Before ADT made a bid, 
they had a meeting with one of the partners from Bender Hamlin. At this meeting, the partner was asked if he stood by the results of the 1989 audit. After the takeover, ADT alleged that these financial statements were misstated and sued Binder Helmling for £65 million. They believed that the meeting between themselves and the partner created proximity. The auditor agreed and Binder Helmets or Binder Hamlin were ordered to pay the £65 million in damages together with £40 million in interest. Wow. So this is the second case. So in the second case, before ADT made the takeover bid and acquired control of uh, the Britannia security groups, they called the auditor or the auditors, one of the auditors, the audit partners for, of the audit firm, and they asked them, do you still stand by the audit report? And they said, I we still stand by it. Okay, so they acquired control of Britannia Securities Group for $65 million. Now, because of that meeting, they said that that meeting meant that proximity exists, and the judge agreed to it, and they paid the £65 million investment plus a £40 million interest. And so in total, they were paying £105 million. So this is how... We determine the liability of the auditor to the third party. There has to be an existence of duty of care as a result of proximity. If that is not there, then we cannot determine that I am liable or you are liable to the third party. Now, so because of that issue, that third parties can rely on our financial statement and can make investment decisions which may affect us, how do we now limit the auditor's liability? So let's look at the limiting of the auditor's liability. The auditing profession is concerned about the extent of their liability to third parties. They argue that they are unable to get sufficient insurance cover to meet the level of claim. So like this, is, this issue about the ADT, ADT and then the uh, ADT and then what was the other audit firm? And then Bender, ADT and Bender. In total, Bender was paying ADT £105 million. What kind of insurance that can cover that? So there is no really enough insurance that can cover the liability of the auditor. Now, when something happens like that, you, the auditor, the audit team that audited that uh, organization, you're going to pay some, and the company is also going to what, be paying some. So how do we now limit that liability so that even if you are paying the 105, it will be limited. So the following suggestions have been put forward as a possible method of reducing liability. One is incorporation. So we are going to register the audit firms as limited liability companies so that if we if we register it like that and there is uh, a liability against us and it exceeds what we can pay in terms of our capital, then our personal belongings and our personal staff will not be taken into consideration. Two, also to register our uh, things as limited liability partnership. And a lot of the audit firm are limited liability partnership companies and they are in the country. One of them in, the, in Ghana, it's I think Neon, something something Neon, I think they are also an audit tax 
uh, an accounting firm, and there's a limited liability partnership. And many of these uh, other firms that we have, uh, KPMG, NS and Young, they are all formed as a result of merger and partnership with two firms. And then we have what we call the KPMG ability. Right. So the last thing to, to discuss is the expectation gap. I think I made some reference to it about expectation gap in relation to what we expect the auditors to do and what they actually do. So the expectation gap is the term used to describe the difference between the expectation of those who rely upon the audit reports concerning audit work performed and the actual audit work performed. So what we think auditors are supposed to do as uh, users of the audit report and what the auditors actually use, that is what creates the expectation gap. Now, what is the reasons for this expectation gap? It arises due to lack of competence, due to lack of independence, and due to lack of what? Education. But the auditor can close the expectation gap how? By requiring or undertaking, uh, with the with issue about lack of competence, they can solve that by auditing according to, uh, or issuing, the rules on issuing of practicing certificates. That is, uh, the audit profession can control that expectation gap by issuing practicing certificates. That is why you must have a certificate before you can audit a firm. If you don't have it, you don't qualify to audit a firm. So to some limit, the lack of uh, capability or competence of the auditor, which may lead to the widening of the expectation gap, to close it a little, we would have to issue certificate to qualify trained people in relation to that. Then also, there has to be some post-qualification educational requirements. That is, the auditors, after they have become uh, certified auditors, we must provide them or encourage them to further go to school, further learn new things so that they can up their game in relation to auditing because accounting standards are changing all the time. Uh, financial reporting framework as a whole is subject to change all the time. So if you are not having post-qualification education, it will widen the gap. Then And many of these uh, audit firms that we have uh, KPMG, NS and Young, they are all formed as a result of merger and partnership with two firms. And then we have what we call the KPMG ability. Right. So the last thing to, to discuss is the expectation gap. I think I made some reference to it about expectation gap in relation to what we expect the auditors to do and what they actually do. So the expectation gap is the term used to describe the difference between the expectation of those who rely upon the audit reports concerning audit work performed and the actual audit work performed. So what we think auditors are supposed to do as uh, users of the audit report and what the auditors actually use, that is what creates the expectation gap. Now what is the reasons for this expectation gap? It arises due to lack of competence, due to lack of independence, and due to lack of what? Education. But the auditor can close the expectation gap. How? By requiring or undertaking, 
with the with issue about lack of competence, they can solve that by auditing according to uh, or issuing the rules on issuing of practicing certificates. That is, uh, the audit profession can control that expectation gap by issuing practicing certificates. That is why you must have a certificate before you can audit a firm. If you don't have it, you don't qualify to audit a firm. So, to some limit, the lack of uh, capability or competence of the auditor, which may lead to the widening of the expectation gap, to close it a little, we would have to issue certificate to qualify trained people in relation to that. Then also, there has to be some post-qualification educational requirements. That is, the auditors, after they have become uh, certified auditors, we must provide them or encourage them to further go to school, further learn new things so that they can up their game in relation to auditing because accounting standards are changing all the time. Uh, financial reporting framework as a whole is subject to change all the time. So if you are not having post-qualification education, it will widen the gap. Then monitoring the audit activity. So in order to make sure you do that, we must make sure we monitor the audit activity. And then the last one is disciplinary procedures following investigation of apparent audit failure. So for instance, if there is a failure of uh, uh, an audit firm to follow due diligence in undertaking their audit, the audit profession must look into it and put in place some disciplinary procedures that will help to keep that gap. Then as an auditor, we have to talk about issues about uh, misconduct. Now, misconduct simply refers to the acts which are likely to bring discredit upon the ICA Ghana or the ACC uh, members and the profession as a whole. So, for instance, if you're an auditor and you're not supposed to have a close relationship, you're not supposed to, like, you have to be independent, both in fact and in appearance, but you breach that and you go ahead to go and audit a company, and something happens about the audit, then you have brought discredit to you as a member of the profession to the whole regulatory body that is the ICA Ghana or the ACCA UK or and also to the whole profession that is to the audit profession itself because people begin to say ah, auditors that is all they do ah, auditors that is what they do so in general they may begin to see the auditors in different ways so in order to do that what we need to do is Conviction relating to personal life of members and students, such as obtaining uh, money or goods by false pretense, forgery, theft, and other offenses involving dishonesty among, amount to misconduct. So when we talk about misconduct, as I've already said, you don't have you have a close relationship or you had some interest in the company and you still went ahead to audit the company, it's amount to misconduct. And so we must investigate that and then there has to be some punishment on the members or on the member that is found wanting in that. The last thing is to talk about what we call the professional indemnity insurance. Now members or firms who wish to hold uh, an ICA Ghana or ACCA practicing certificate must hold the professional indemnity insurance and fidelity guarantee insurance in respect of all partners, directors, and employees. So 
then this insurance cover or this insurance is going to cover in respect of all civil liabilities incurred in connection with the conduct of the firm's business and also it is going to help to cover any wrong against fraud, dishonesty, and any misconduct. So these two insurance policies, that is the professional indemnity insurance and the fidelity guarantee insurance, are going to help the auditor. The insurance package is that the audit firm must undertake so that it covers all its partners, all the directors of the company, as well as all the employees, so that if there is any issue about fraud and misconduct, it can be we can use that insurance policy to cover it and so only what is in the insurance policy is going to cover for that wrong that has been undertaken. Then the last thing is that also amounts to some issue about misconduct. It's about insider dealings. Now insider dealings involve buying or selling of shares by a person connected with a company who when doing so is in possession of specific information which is not generally known, but which would be likely, if made possible, to have a significant effect on the market price of the shares. So what happens here is about insider dealing, and I believe you've heard issues or cases about insider dealing where we are told or we are informed that the management or the directors or maybe the auditors of the company may acquire the shares of a company. Then after one month, the shares of the company skyrocket or increase. Now what had happened is that prior before that they had known about what the information. So for instance, if a company wants to undertake a project or make uh, an acquisition of another company, then probably somebody may try to buy some shares from the shareholders in that company that is about to make the bid because you know that when you make a takeover bid it means you now have more capacity and so your share price is going to increase so that is what we talk about when we discuss the issues about insider dealing now clearly an auditor in possession of such information it would be unethical for an auditor to use that information for personal gain so if you are auditing the firm and something like this comes up you as an auditor, what we are saying here is that you shouldn't use that information to your personal advantage. But we've seen a couple of cases around the globe in the U.S. where people use insider dealings, board of directors use insider dealing to acquire huge shares of the company and immediately the share price increase, they sell it off and they make huge profits and huge gains. And we've seen a couple of cases in relation to these as well. So these are what we must understand when we talk about professional um, responsibility and professional liability, remember, professional responsibility, we are discussing the auditor's responsibility to fraud and error. And remember what we said, we said the auditor is not responsible for detecting fraud and error, but rather it is the management responsibility to put in place measures, cultural ethics in the organization to detect and prevent what? Fraud and error. However, even though the auditor is not responsible for the prevention and detection of uh, fraud and errors, the auditor at the planning stage of the audit must make an assessment to find out whether there is going to be a susceptibility of the financial statement to fraud and error and that there may be material misstatements in the financial statement and also determine beforehand the effects of those fraud and errors on the real financial statement. So these are what you must understand in relation to this module and I'll see you in the next module.